as we come in the Lord uh, to exalt you, extol you. And Father God, we know you are a good God, but we want, Lord, to let you know, Father God, we want to magnify your, your name in our hearts, Father God. Father, thank you. And Lord, um, please, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, we, we, we turn uh, the service unto you as the leader of this service this morning. Father God, uh, please uh, move our heart, touch our heart, um, change our heart. And Lord, uh, give us room, Father God, uh, to praise you, to worship you, and to thank you. Father, thank you for your grace. Let's worship him. Amen. I will try. Even if I can't even see him, I will lay down on the word when he passed by. I will touch his robe. While Jesus passed by, that lady is laying. He cannot really see Jesus. But the Bible said he touched his robe. Immediately, the sickness went away. Immediately. Suddenly, as he touched Jesus, his heart touched Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, who's touching me? And Jesus feels something move from him. You know, this morning, may your faith touch Jesus. May your heart touch Jesus. May you get back home with a new, with a new, with a new perspective today, and say, "I am healed." And then when Jesus turned, Jesus asked, "Who's touching me?" And the lady already, you know, put herself somewhere because probably she was even afraid to say yes. But the Bible said the lady come and said, you know. That me who did it. And Jesus did turn to her and say, How come you touch me? Your dirty hand, your, your sickness, lady. How come you touch me? And Jesus said, well, You know, your faith, your faith is heal you. This morning, nobody can heal you, nobody can do it for you. Your faith will do it. Let's worship Him with all your faith this morning. With the thing that's bothering you this morning, bring it to Jesus. And then you will get back with joy. And that lady doesn't have no more sickness, no more pain. Rejoicing in the feet of Jesus. And this morning, it's here. It's here. He is here. Let's come in and bring your situation to him. been doing a series called Take Off and Run for Your Life, and uh, the, the main text has been from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, and so I'm going to read that just to kind of recenter us back on the, the series. Therefore also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that was set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him was... 
endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down on the right hand of the Father. The goal of this series is to help each one of us finish the race. That's the goal. In case you wonder where we're going, we're, the goal is to get us to finish the race and to finish with excellence. And by excellence, I don't mean that we do it perfect. We're being perfected. We are not excellent people. We are being changed in the image of likeness of Jesus. It's not about having a walk where you never stumble. But it says the righteous man falls seven times and gets up. The goal of this series is us to allow the Holy Spirit to remove areas that have hindered our race with the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you've already been doing a work in our lives prior to us even getting here today. You continue to transform us and shape us and change us. And I thank you for that. All of us fall short of the glory of God, but, but through you we can... We can serve you and we can walk. You got us through this week. And more than just getting us through this week, you blessed us. And you, your name was lifted us in the areas of our lives. For the areas where it wasn't, Lord, we cry out for your mercy, knowing that you work all things together for good. Fathers, we spend this time in the word. I'm praying for transformational growth. That can only come from the Holy Spirit. Father, I can only say what I see you doing. I can only say what I hear you saying. We put ourselves in a position to be taught and instructed by the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus that when you left, you gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide us into all truth, who will expose areas of sin and weakness. He'll also teach us the things that are on your heart. So, Father, we put ourselves in a position, each one of us, to receive from the Spirit today. And all God's people said. The Lord showed me something years ago as an illustration for this verse. I want to show you because I want to I brand. I'm a person that's visual. I went to art school before I went to college. And so I'm kind of a visual person. Um, and, and I'm also, I've been an athlete, and I've done a lot of training, and I do a lot of running at 55 in order to still play hockey with some pretty big boys. I have to do things to my body, and one of them is running. Um, Kathy and I love to run. We, we, in this kind of state, you have to do other things like uh, work on treadmills and ellipticals and things. And so this, this kind of loses the illustration here, but I want you to get this. The writer of Hebrews says we need to take off every weight. And the image I want to leave in your head is this, is this is part of our problem in running the Christian race is it doesn't seem like that big a deal until it's attached to us. And somehow we think the things that God wants to deal with in our lives are no big deal. Anyone see a problem with this? I'm going to cause in trouble. Kathy and I, when we run together, because we run at different speeds, mine is going to go a little bit faster. Can anyone read into this and the damage that I'm going to do to her in the process or to everything else? It's a big deal. That's why he says, let's get rid of everything that hinders our, our run. Everything. It says every weight, laying aside every weight, not just some, all of them. Now, I'm going to tell you this, the clue this. We can't do it by ourselves. We're not smart enough, brave enough, strong enough to do it. We need God's help, and that's what the whole thing's been about. So, so none, no condemnation here today. Got it? This is all about lifting us to a position where we say, Dad, there's some things that I, I, I need your help. What, what are the weights? The weights are... Our past failures, it's disappointments, it's discouragement, it's shame, it's criticism. It's all those things that the enemy convinces us that is wrong with our life, and we try to run our race, and we get so close to places, and we get into dangerous spots. And many of us today are in this dangerous position where the enemy is about to take you down further. And you're not running the race like you used to when you became a Christian. Because like a bowling ball, the weights of discouragement and disappointment and all the things the enemy does, it stops our way. I can't even run the normal 30 miles an hour that I do when I run outside. 
I can't do it. Okay, maybe on hockey skates I can do it. But I, but I can't do it because look at it stops. I have to be aware of everything. You want, that's a picture of our life. That's a picture of our race. We're not doing what we're supposed to be. We, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we're hindered. He says, take it off. Take off every weight. Holy Spirit, every weight, every area, every area that we can run and do what God says to do. The second thing, listen to this. He says, lay aside the weight and also take off what? Every sin that so easily ensnares us. And so here's the picture most of us think. The sin in our lives, it's not a big deal. So it's just a little mousetrap. And I can run with this mousetrap. I can do a lot of things. I can't shoot with this mousetrap effectively. I've got a hockey stick in my hand. I can run effectively, and it might not even affect Kathy as we run next to each other. And so we see it as no big deal. It's a big deal. Every sin, it's a big deal. You know why? Can I tell you what the enemy's goal of sin is? It's to separate us from God. Sin means to miss the mark. So anything that misses the mark separates us from God. Now, it's not the father who turns his back and says, because you've sinned, I can't look at you. We can't see God anymore. And that's what the enemy's goal is. So we see it's not a big deal. So then, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and we convicts us a little bit more that it, it's, not, it's not a mousetrap. It's actually a little bit bigger thing, something that's got a little teeth in it. And so we try to find a way to manipulate our race so that maybe we can run with it on. And, and it's not a big deal because I could probably adjust this in a way that I could run, Right? And so it's not a big deal to us, so he seems. He says, every weight, every sin. But I'm going to give you a better picture than that. A better picture than this little guy. And I didn't get a chance to get the one they use modern ones. Anyone know what this is? You ever seen these or set them up? They're massive traps when I need someone like, I'm not going to do it, Rich, because I did it once and it got way too dangerous. And I said, I won't do that one again. It takes about two strong guys to set this thing up. And then I've also set them off. And when they set off, it'll shatter my leg. They're that powerful. And so I want the image in our lives of this is that we're attempting to run our race with, with, with a bear trap on our legs, chained to a tree, and we're saying, I can't figure out why I'm not doing things for God. Every weight and every sin. Got it? It's a big deal. This is the third summer in a row we've done a series by allowing God to remove the barriers. You know why? He's serious about intimacy. He's, he's not serious about shame, so we're supposed to take it off. Everything. Everything that so easily ensnares us. What are the sins that so easily ensnare us? You know what they are. You dealt with them this morning. You dealt with them last night. They're going over and over and over again. They're secret habits. They're vices. They're all the stuff that he just gets us over and over again. Do you ever wonder why? Animals will actually walk into a trap and take the bait and get caught. We used to catch squirrels in our yard. We're over in Cherokee Park, which is squirrel heaven. And you can catch them and take them 10 miles away, and they seem to come back and, and go into the same trap and eat the same food. The sin that so easily catches us, that's what God wants us to remove. The, the condemnation and the shame and the stuff that drags us down. We've looked at pride. We've looked at avarice. We've looked at envy. We've looked at sloth. We've looked at gluttony. Today we're going to look at lust. Now, lust to me is probably the most damaging of all the different seven uh, sins that we've looked at. To me, it's the most damning effect because it stops the life flow in our world. He says, I want you to come with life and life abundant. That's what he wants to bring to us. That's why he's come here. That's his purpose. But what I find, do me a favor, will you? 
Just turn the PowerPoint off. I'm not going to use it. I'll be too distracted, and so will you. I'm serious. This is the one area I'm convinced above everything else. This is the one area where he gets us not only by trapping us, but he drags us down. How do I know? Because he entices us into things, and we take the bait, and then he puts shame and condemnation. I have gotten phone calls from people after church on a service or New Year's Day. Where were you last night? And they talk about what they did. And the shame and the condemnation held them back. So what I'm going to do today is this, is I want to level the ground. Because when we hear lust, oftentimes um, you sort of split the camp in half by gender, first of all. And this is more effective if I'm doing a men's ministries or speaking at a pastor's conference, which I do, and going and speaking life, then I can get the men to come forward. But here's the reality. The reality is lust in the New Testament simply means a longing. A passion. We sang songs today of you're the one that satisfies our hunger. You're the one that meets the cravings in my heart. That's lust. We always equate it with sexual lust. It comes from the root word that means to set our heart upon. It means to covet. It means to long for rightfully or otherwise. So we equate it with sexual lust. And so half the audience checks out. And that's, that's not even a fair statement. I'm going to go say and be bold and say maybe a tenth of the audience checks out. Because some of us may not be dealing with today because we had victory in the past. Some of you dealt with it years ago and you've learned some secret tricks. But it is a sin that affects all of us called lust. It's this longing that was put in us by God the Father that we have turned to other things and other places and other people in order to get us satisfied. That's why it's a deadly sin, as it's called, with all the other ones. Exodus 16 and Numbers 11 paint this wonderful picture. You don't need to go to Exodus 16. You can just write down the verses in there. The children of Israel had come to the place where they come across the Red Sea. And they were hungry. And three days into the journey, they start whining, complaining for water. And then about 45 days later, they're in this place where they start to complain. The, the longing for food is different than it was in Egypt when they were in bond, bondage and slavery. The longing and the lust of their heart at that time was to be out of it. Now that they're out of it, the longing in their heart has turned to murmuring and complaining, and they're being critical of God. They're saying, the whole congregation, Exodus 16, 2, says the whole congregation, the children of Israel, complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They wanted bread and meat. 45 days after God did the Red Sea thing. This longing, this God-given passion for the things of God had turned into carnality and longing for bread and meat and leeks and onions and fish and cucumbers. Fish, leeks, cucumbers, and onions. Seriously? There's no caviar. There's no lobster. There's no mahi-mahi. There's no great French cuisine on there. Leeks and onions. You see how the passions can be so, it's bizarre. I look at some of the sin that we get into since, am I talking to sinners in this place? Anyone sinned this last week? Can we just get that over and say, we all of us fall short of the glory of God. Thank God for his grace. But the stuff he entices with, I mean, I've, I've looked into my life and saying, seriously, we've gone after stuff that doesn't make sense. That's what's going on here. This God has taken them across the Red Sea journey, and they're complaining three days into it for water, 45 days into it because they want something that they don't have anymore. They want meat. Me want meat, give it now. That sounds like my one-year-old grandson. 
That's pretty much the extent of his thing. The three-year-old at least can tell me what she wants. Me want food now. And when he doesn't get his food, he tantrums. That's what's going on here with the children of Israel. And thank God we're looking at them and not us. All right. In, in chapter 11 of Numbers, we find the children of Israel again complaining about food. In verse 4, it says, The mixed multitude among them had yielded to intense craving, so the children of Israel also wept again. Now they're crying. We want meat. Are you that desperate for meat, Israel? Or are you ignoring what's going on in your heart? Something is going on that's wrong here. Two years after they left to Egypt, we find ourselves in chapter 11. Two years after God had faithfully provided for them. Two years they have been wandering in the dentist, and God has been speaking to them. He's been having a pow- uh, two different elements. He's had a fire to lead them. He's had a cloud to lead them. He has provided for them over and over, and he's been taking care of them for two years. And the longing and the lust of their heart for something other than him turned to the point that they're not only now um, longing for it, they're weeping. My soul cries, my soul cries, we sing today, contemporary song. They were singing it for meat, not for him. That's why lust is such a a, a damning thing, both in the cursing sense and in the stopping of the life flow. If Jesus said, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water, it stops the life flow. And here they are in chapter 11, verse 4 to 6 says, They yielded to intense craving, so the children also wept again, saying, Who will give us meat? There is nothing except all this manna. God had been faithfully providing for them. Every single day they get up, there was food for them. And yet their response was not turning that longing for something carnal and temporal into a thank you, Lord, I just love you. You are so good. That's also what lust looks like, that intense craving and passion. See why it's so deadly? It's the intimacy of the Father is what Jesus Christ came to get us back to. We lost that in Genesis when we fell. But Jesus came to get us back, not just as, as forgiven sinners who watch your step because he's got a stick and he's going to smack us. It's to get us back to sons and daughters and intimacy. I love the stories where he's constantly saying, am I going to do this without showing my friend what I'm doing? Jesus is praying right before he dies. I no longer call you servants because servants don't know what the master, but I call you friend. Sons and daughters, put it in our stomachs. Put it in our very soul. That's the spirit of God that cries out, Daddy, Father. So if he can shift that passion for this loving, gracious Father God and turn it into something carnal, something fleshly that won't last, whether it's a piece of meat or something sexually, it doesn't last. Amen? The addictions. In, and here's the problem with this whole area. It, it produces a craving in us that never stops. The longing. Why? Because it started as being God-breathed from the Spirit of God, turning us to Father God. And we have shifted it over here and said, me want the food. Me want this. And we responded. Intense craving in verse 4 could be translated lustly, lusted intense, intensely. The leeks and onions? Seriously? I mean, I love those things, but I don't lust intensely for them. The Hebrew word means to covet. It means to be desirous. It means to lust after. They were lusting after food, and that's the same passion that has a sexual drive. To see this kind of longing for meat grow to lusting that's out of control, they got to the point where suddenly they were complaining about this holy God. 
this loving God, this passionate God, who two years prior had delivered them. Do you remember the story? We've celebrated the Passover. We do it over and over and over again to remind you that I delivered you out of Egypt. I provided for you a lamb that when sacrificed over the door, you were set free and everybody else, the firstborn, died. They left, it says, there was not a sick or a feeble among, among them. And they pilfered Israel or Egypt and they took it with, and two years later they can't remember this. And their passion for carnal things like food is suddenly so focused on themselves Instead of this loving, gracious father that says, I love you, they start weeping. They're critical of God's care, and they ultimately are rejecting his love for them. That's why I say it's the most powerful thing, because it entices us in, and then we get trapped by the lure of it, and it weighs us down, and we don't go to God. We don't go to God's people, and we don't go to church, and we don't read his word, and we find ourselves so far away and over and over and over again. They get to the point in Numbers 11, verses 18 to 20, where this loving, compassionate, slow to anger, full of mercy, revealing himself from the very beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, as a God who loves us as a precious father. It's, they push him to the point where I think it's this jealous rage of a lover who responds, listen to this. He says to Moses in verse 18, then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow, for you shall eat meat. And you shall weep in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat. And you shall eat not one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, but for a whole month, until it comes out your nostrils. And it becomes loathsome for you, because you despise the Lord who is among us. And you wept before him, saying, Why do we ever come out of Egypt? That's a jealous God who reacts that way. Jealous for saying, I know the very thing, the only thing that you need to satisfy your soul. And they got to the point that they pushed him to the saying, fine, you want it? It'll come out your nose. I'll give you everything you want. You want that stuff? Go for it. You, you want to go out and get into carnality? Go for it. Do you realize God does that in our lives? What father would do that? What father would go and say, well, honey, if you really think you can handle it, here's the car keys. I know you're five years old, but go for it. A loving gracious, compassionate father who gets it, who gets that there's nothing that will satisfy us. We will come back to him. As Luke 15 tells three stories of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, in every single one of them, there's a father who stands there saying, I'm waiting for you. That same father revealed here when he said, I want the, the stuff to come out of your nostrils. He's not shoving him away out of anger. He's shoving him away because he's hurting and he's passionate in his love for us. And his response is to the point that he says, then just stay away. He didn't turn his back. He was so hurt. And we need to understand that's what sin does. He, he's not disappointed. He's, he's not messed up in who we are. He knew all of that when he died for us. But what hurts him is he sees what this does to our lives. And he knows how we, it stops us and it's not the way he wanted us to live. And so it, it bothers him because we can't get to him. We don't get to him. And so he responds even further. In verse 33 and 34, listen to this. He pours out meat. He gives them meat. He pours out all this stuff. He, he's in this rage, in a loving, passionate, jealous rage. But while the meat was still on their teeth, before they chewed, the wrath of the Lord was roused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So they called the name of the place, Kiprath Hatta 
because they buried the people there who yielded to their craving. You know what that town means? You know what that place means? It means graves of the longing. What are that place? That's the place where they were so filled with lust for the things of the world, the flesh of the eyes, and all the stuff that was not of God, that they, were, they, they turned their back. This will be a memorial stone to say, don't go there. I have this against you, he says. You've done, you've done your own wells. You, you, you've dig, dig wells that never, ever, ever, ever produce the life you need. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and heavenly, come to me. Come, drink, eat. I want to feed you. In the Hebrew, where it says yielding to crave, it could be trusted again, lusted intensely. It means to covet. It means to long. It means to lust after. So you see, in that definition, we all lust. Yes? We all deal with lust. And with that understanding that every single one of us deals with it, then we all have to address it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, there's no temptation except that which is common to man. I want to level the ground even further for us to understand. That means all of us have the opportunity to deal and battle with lust. Every single one of us. I don't care how long you've been dealing with this walk of sobriety, whatever area of life it is. We all have the potential to doing it. And some of you need to write this one down to remind you. Those of you who say, I don't struggle with that stuff. Praise God, then come and pray for the rest of us. Because I'm smart enough to know this. I don't care what area of victory I've had in my life. The enemy is sitting there waiting and prowling, hoping that I'll fail. Every time I teach at Teen Challenge Leadership Institute, and every time I preach, I am reminded as I look out to men and women in these rooms, and I realize that I was sober 33 years ago. I was delivered from alcohol and drug. I was delivered from all that stuff, but I say I've been free from alcohol 25 years because this is my second time through. I know the reality of this prowling, lying, seeking to destroy whom he will. So if you've had victory in this area, praise the Lord, but write this verse down. It's the verse that's before it. In 1 Corinthians 12, or verse 10, verse 12, there's one right before we just read. Therefore, let he who stands, who thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. Be warned. The reality is none of us are short of any kind of temptation from the enemy. None of us. I don't care how long you've been doing That's not to put fear in you. It's to go and say, here's what I really want us to turn to is this. In Galatians 6, 1 says, when you see your brother in that condition, and he's overtaken with a, with a trespass, you who are spiritual, you who have got it together, you who have had victory, restore him. But, be, but, but, but listen, in a spirit of gentleness, considering lest you also be tempted. It's to create a posture saying, I have had this victory, and God be praised. You've been so good to me. But, but you know what, Rich, I know you're struggling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with you, and I'm going to stand with you. And I'm not going to shake my finger at you because I need you. Because I'll, I'll tell you why. Because potentially five years from now, five minutes from now, five months from now, the enemy could attack me, and I want to be able to have you come along me and say, Tom, thank you for praying. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Us coming along each other and saying, we're just aware that if there's a grace in our life not to give in to something, or we've learned some techniques to look away or to not go to certain sites and not do certain things, then, then let's have an attitude of saying, and a posture of saying, we're going to create a place of grace in each other's lives so we can come to each other. Jesus goes and just really levels the ground. I say whoever looks at a woman to lust for has already committed adultery with her in her heart. I, I think that pretty much covers all of us. Those who are giving in to sin, temptation. Those who have been delivered from it, as well as those who now suddenly look and Jesus is saying, I'm just going to tell you this, is where it starts. 
It starts in your mind. So he says, if you've even entertained it, I'm not going to say you already committed it. What's he trying to do? He's trying to level the ground so that his grace, his mercy, his compassion can flow through each one of us to the church. That's what we're supposed to do. We need to get serious about sin, but there's something about creating an environment for the Holy Spirit to do the job poking, probing, that works much more effective, at least I found in my life. The other thing we need to admit is we need to admit that, that, that this is really a battle for all of us. Because we look at each other and we think, how in the world and why, knowing that this stuff is in our life, why would we try to run our race? Why would we still continue to do it? I'll, I'll tell you my own personal observation from being in this church world since 1979. This is my observation. Either, number one, we've got to do a better job creating a place for this grace to flow in the church. Creating a place that people can know they walk in. Particularly, I'm going to tell you, it's really hard for ministers to do this. I know because they come to my office and they ask for counsel and they ask for prayer and they bounce stuff off. Is to go in for, for me to be able to go to him and say, Pastor Ludovic, I'm really struggling this area. Would you pray for me? Rather than being so afraid that what he's going to do is saying, did you hear what he said, Pastor Justice? Did you hear what he said, Pastor Jim? Did you hear what he said? We need to get this guy thrown out. To create a place that no matter who is struggling because the enemy is relentless in his pursuit to destroy us. And we don't get that. So we've got to either, number one, create a place of grace and mercy. We have redefined, Kathy and I, redefined our whole mission world in life. We've been praying about it since October, and this is the best thing I think we've come up with. This is our mission in life, in our home, in our marriage, in our ministry. Our mission is to create places of grace where unconvinced people can come to know and wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ. Unconvinced people, what's that? Well, that's people that know him and people who don't know him. Because we all have areas we're not convinced that the reality that Jesus Christ is who he says he is is defined here in the word. Do we just admit that? You understand there's areas where you've been praying about for 40, 50 years, and you've not seen victory. You're not convinced he can really deliver you. When Pastor Ludovic was sharing about coming here and Jesus is in the house and he wants to deliver, you're not really convinced. So let's create a place of grace where we can have that kind of environment where it's saying, you know what? I know that Peggy still has areas in her life where she's not convinced in the reality of Jesus Christ. And, and, and even worse than that, where she still has some stuff that weighs her down from her past. Or Stan still gets tripped up by things. Let's create a place of grace so we can come in a spirit of meekness and say, how do I stand with you guys? How do I help remove this stuff from your life? How, how do I come alongside of you? Because I want you to run the race. Paul said, I've run the race. I fought the good fight. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I'm convinced that he who began a good work is going to complete it. And then at the end of his running, he says, I finished it, I did it, I did it, I did it. And so the exhortation of the writer of Hebrews saying, if you want to finish the race, then let's get it off. The second possibility, if it, number one, is that we've not created a place in the body of Christ, and we need to do that, that place of grace, where that can take place. The second is, perhaps we've not taken advantage of the body of Christ and said, Eric, I'm really hurting here. Eric, and it's going to cause me a little bit of embarrassment and shame, but I just kind of, I got to come to you, brother, and I, I, and I got to pray. Or even worse, Eric goes and shares his testimony and shares about an area that he's struggling with, and I hear it. Or, or whoever did these, these seven messages we did on pride and envy and sloth and gluttony, and we don't take advantage of saying, you know, Pastor Sam, when you spoke on gluttony, that's something that in my life I look at I'm struggling with. Would you pray with me? Would you stand with me? Would you encourage me? That's what the body is supposed to be about. You want to know why they don't come in here? 
I figured this out. I came to the Lord when I was in college. I didn't go there, meaning in the church, because I thought everyone had it together and there were self-righteous people that were convinced that they never did anything wrong. And they figured out all these 10 steps to easy victory and how to never sin. Can I tell you there's not 10 steps to easy victory? Except for one. It's continually going back to the Father. It's continuing to go into the place of saying, I need you, I love you, I long for you. So what's required to deal with lust? How do we deal with lust? I'll tell you this, self-denial, self-enhancement works at times. There are some techniques and some things to do. If you get in trouble always going down a certain road, can I give you some free advice? Don't go down that road. If there is a website that lures you into it, don't go on the website. If there's a certain individual in your neighborhood who for some reason parades herself around topless, don't go into that area. There's some solid things we need to do. I'll point to my own life. You know, I've kept sober. I've made decisions. So there's some certain things where I've made decisions not to put myself in positions and sometimes to say no. There's some things that self-denial and self-enhancement works. There is some things. Some you need to grow up and start doing some of those things. I can't stop myself. You can't stop yourself. Is this reality? I, I know it's relentless. I'll tell you this. Again, 25 years sober from alcohol, 33 years from drugs and other things that I love much better than alcohol. I'm at the cabin. We got our kids up there. Grandkids are up there. And, and one of my kids or my, my in-laws brought alcohol. Not a big deal. My kids don't struggle with it. Scripturally, I, you know, I'll, I'll debate that one with you. I choose not to because I don't want to lead people into sin. Got it? There's our topic. Okay, over. Can of beer falls out of the refrigerator. Kathy picks it up. She sticks in the sink because the top got punctured. I walk in the kitchen. I see a can of beer tucked upside down. And for those of us who really knew how to drink, you, you just don't do that, do you, Stan? Amen? So I went and said, I'm going to take that can of beer in case they go fishing. And I took the can and I turned it over in case they go fishing. They want to make beer batter soup. Or we want to make beer batter fish. Or we do something with it. And it was only a split second, less than a minute. And I thought, oh, he's subtle. He is so subtle because the refrigerator had more beer, number one. And number two, he was trying to entice me into something that would not only bring shame to my testimony of the Lord's ability to deliver me from alcohol, but also for other ones who stand alongside of me, and I'm an encouragement in their lives. It's that subtle. So there are some disciplines and self-enhancement things that work, but the reality is, I have found, is it leads us to greater and greater bondages and weights because we don't measure up. And it's one more thing we don't get right in our life. That's one more area of shame and brokenness and failure. And then we go and we add it to our list of weights, and we stop following God, and we stop serving as the Lord, and we say, what difference? I've dealt with a lot of people that way. They're not, they're not backslidden because they hate God. They're just so discouraged by the rules, and the rules don't work. The antidote, in my opinion, is to transfer that. that if, if lust is a longing and it's a passion, we need to transfer it back to where it was originally intended to be to take our lustful thoughts, our lustful longing, and transfer it back to loving him. That, that's where our focus needs to be. Because if we really have and developed an intimate relationship and allow him to reveal himself as the intimate lover of our soul, and I know for most of us guys we have a hard time, but the women have the hard time with him being revealed, God as being a father. So work that out. Do you understand? He uses the term father, and I know that kind of upsets you know, how does that work out if he's mother also? And it also it upsets us as guys to have the image that we're the bride. But there's an intimacy coming, as I see, of this wedding feast coming where he's taking us, men and women, and calling us the bride of Christ. And somehow he's adorning us and, you know, fixing our makeup and our hair and all the stuff that kind of makes us squirmy. 
but he's changing us. But we got to allow him to do it because if we allow that passion to grow, that longing to go and we transfer here, then I don't want to do certain things. It's part of the secret of success in my marriage in areas where I've struggled in the past is I keep falling more and more in love with Kathy. I don't want to do things that hurt her or hurt our relationship. We sang a song this morning. It just came back to me. We sang a song, and it was something along the lines, I think it was the last one, and it alluded to something about the scars on your hands paid for my sin. I, my hands are covered with scars from having them both rebuilt. I used to do a lot of uh, work as an artist in construction, and my hands eventually wore out and they needed to be rebuilt. And I looked at them during that song, and I thought, does any of my creation, any of the houses I built, any of the big projects that I worked on, any of the art pieces that I made, anything that I labored, are they aware as my creation that I gave myself for them? The more we long and linger and look at him and what he's done, that keeps us out of the stuff, number one. And then number two, when we fall, we realize we can run right back into the arms of the lover. For Hebrews 4 says we can come boldly in the throne room when in our hour of need. He knows you have this stuff, and he knows that this is tripping you up, and it's not throwing him off. He's not disappointed in you. He's not discouraging. The sin is separating you from him. And Jesus Christ paid him his death, burial, and resurrection so that we could come and find mercy in our hour of need. If we shift the focus to that, then suddenly you say, man, Father, this is like the 10th time I've come to you today with the same sin, with the same area of sin. And, and Father, is, is there like another way we could deal with this? I mean, I appreciate you, Dad, for giving me. I appreciate you very much. I appreciate what the blood of Jesus has done. How do we stop this thing? Talk to somebody else about it. What's that, Dad? Go talk to somebody about that. And ad admit that I'm struggling. See, he starts working on our hearts as a lover, not as this judgmental sitting on the throne pointing his finger at us. My friends, we will battle with lust the remainder of our life. We see the story in Numbers 11 where we record Israel with this longing and lusting that drives them to things that are so carnal and pulls them away from God. Nothing is new in here, nothing. It's still the same stuff, the same trip. He, he, he's got it all figured out. To me, it's really a matter of how we're going to respond when the sin hits. Are we going to choose to give into it and, and press into that, or are we going to turn and say, Dad, I need you. Dad, I want to know you more. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read this in the message version. Keep your eyes on Jesus who began, who both began and finished his race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed and was exhilarating and finishing and being with God. He put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside of God. And we find yourself flagging your faith. Go over to the story again, item by item, longing against the litany of hostility he plowed through. If the antidote to lust is going and, and pouring ourselves loving in to him and transferring our lustful thoughts to loving him, then we've got to understand the other part of 1 Corinthians 10. We've got to understand that with that understanding. You can only see it from that understanding because we all get the part that there's no temptation except that which is common. Man, we get that. But we miss the other part of that verse. The other part of the verse of 1 Corinthians 13 says this, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. 
this loving passion that God is not allowing stuff in our lives just to see how you stand up. It really has more to do with saying, I want to reveal myself in any situation you're in. Nothing. If the enemy keeps coming in this way, I want you to turn to me and I want to reveal him. But he'll provide a way out every single time if we let him. And you only will see that, I think, as we look lovingly and longing at what he's done. A great place to start that is worship. It's being grateful. It's being thankful. How do I do this? Start walking through your house. Go room by room, thanking him for the couch, thanking him for the TV, thanking him for the chair, thanking him for how he forgave you for the sin. Walk item by item as you get in your car today. Thank God that the car started. It may not be the best one in the world, but it started. Thank God for the clothes on you. And you all have clothes in your closets. And if you didn't have a shower, maybe you can have a shower. Start there. And you start thinking about what the Lord has done. I start thinking about him. I want to shower. And I want to sing. And I want to praise him. And I want to bless his name. And that focus gets me off of what the bondage that the enemy's doing and onto him saying, well, why not, God? And here's what I start finding. The more I press in, I start seeing, I think he's out to get me. And then I ask this question, why is he out to get me? And God starts showing us that we are his ambassadors, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, as though God were pleading through us. There's no way, Pastor Justin, there's no way you can preach tonight with this on your foot. Pastor Ludovic, as you do your church service tonight, there's no way you can preach with this on that. So if the enemy takes us out, it's not just affecting their lives. Who's it affecting? Everybody that goes to both of their churches. And every person that those individuals will touch. And because they're both equipper of men and leaders, it'll affect every, every leader they impart into. You see what? The enemy's out to get you. So the, the little leeks and onions or whatever your temptation that you're giving into, it only leaves a bad breath and pushes everybody away. Is it not? Anyone sinned last night and you're coming in here saying, I got a testimony. I just want to let you know how the enemy led me into sin. And I, I really, really sinned good last night. And it wasn't one of those five minutes in. It was like six hours. And, and you get real close, you can, might be able to smell it. And, and I just want to give a testimony to say, no, we none of us do that. But as the Lord keeps convincing of us his power and takes that lustful longing, we find ourselves suddenly giving testimony with the Lord. We grow closer to him. I'm convinced God's made us for intimate relationship. If the worship team would come up. I'm convinced that he's created us for intimate relationship, and that's all about it. And that every area we've looked at, of pride and envy and gluttony and avarice and sloth, and all these things, the, the whole goal of the enemy and lust, the whole goal of the enemy was to keep us from him. And if we got that in mind, then we go and approach it differently. We're not trying to take off these areas so that suddenly we're right with God. You want to be right with God? It's real simple. Confess the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart you will be saved. That's what it says in Romans 10. It is that simple, 9 through 13, read it. And it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of unrighteousness. I'm not making light of it. Listen and listen intently. God takes it very serious about sin. It was a damning offense in his life. But here's the way it works. When I sin... The debt gets transferred somewhere else. I owe this when I sin. I owe it. He doesn't just say, oh, it's no big deal. Come on, it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. Every time he sins, he takes it and transfers it somewhere else. And then I sin again, he transfers it somewhere else. He keeps transferring things onto the shoulders of Jesus Christ, who's at the right hand of the Father, it says in Romans 8, pleading for us, interceding for us, ever trying to be right. It says in Hebrews 7, 25, he always lives to make intercession for us. Right now, he's standing there. It's a big deal. That's why he died for us. But he doesn't want you to focus on that. He wants you to focus on what he gave. 
and we go and we say, that is so cool, you're going to take care of my dad, dad. I appreciate that. Thank you. In fact, thank you. I'm going to thank, I'm going to thank, did I thank you again. I'm going to thank you again. Did I say I love you? I gave him a kiss earlier. I don't know if you guys saw it. He wanted to kiss. I gave him a kiss. On the cheek. That's all the further. Listen to this one. Do you want to be free? Are you tired of sin management? Are you sick of counseling? Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says this. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points was tempted just as we are without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly in the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace in our time of need. We have a high priest who walked the earth. Does Jesus walk? He got it. He's not shocked by you. He's not disappointed by you. You don't discourage him. He's not disgusted with you. He knew he was getting into before he called you. He knew it all. When he called your name, he knew it. He knew everything. He, he laid down his life passionately for you because he got it. He's not embarrassed by you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not saying, why did that one come into this house? Look at the woman at the well. He sat there in dialogue. He could have walked up and said, hi, my name is God. You're in trouble because you're living with a man. The last several guys, you're not your husband and you're an adulterous woman. He doesn't do that. And Jesus said, I only do what the Father does. I only say what the Father does. He was modeling that's what it looks like when we sin and fall short of the glory in any of these areas. We can come and find this loving and gracious and passionate Father who just wants us to be free, to be with him. In a very short time, I'm going to go down to my brother's house. There's a, a baby shower. When did men start having to go to baby showers? I don't get that. I'm going for one reason. When I walk in that door... Because I know my, one of my daughters and her husband's going to be there. She's also bringing two of my grandkids. I go because of what I'm going to see when that door gets open. And they see me there. They are both going to make waves to try to be in my arms. That's the picture the father says when the house gets opened up. That's what I'm thinking about. My, my favorite thing when Pastor Dave Ogren was doing the, the taking over for Pastor Jim's sabbatical is he sat there every single week and we'd watch his granddaughter come charging into his arms. That's just a picture of what the father's saying. Come boldly. I understand. I didn't give in. I understand. We don't have an unsympathetic high priest named Jesus Christ. We've got one that gets it. And that, that's why he paid. So the enemy could say, well, I got this against. He says, really, I've got my blood on their lives. You have nothing on them. They're my kids. I don't know where you're at today. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on in your heart. Call out to Jesus. He's here to meet your greatest needs. Do not go here without dealing with some of this stuff. You're too embarrassed to come in front? Then turn to somebody next to you and say, would you pray for me? I need prayer. I got to expose this thing. I'm so afraid of getting found out. I am afraid of getting caught. I just really have this healthy fear of getting caught. The deliverer is here today. So how will you respond to his invitation to take off lust and learn to love? Will you respond with excuses and say, Pastor Tom, you just don't get it. My family's always been this way. I'm genetically predisposed to sin. I don't know how you don't sin, but I'm predisposed to sin. It's, it's not my fault. That's one option. It's a, it's a good option, I guess, for a while. I'm just going to tell you Monday morning when you walk into work and you tell someone you're a Christian, and that bowling ball swings and hurts them. You're going to leave a mark on them. I've seen a lot of non-Christians messed up by Christians who walk in and say, yeah, Jesus can give you great victory. You just need to turn to him. You say, what's that you're carrying? Don't worry about me. I'm just going to tell you about Jesus. Or what's even worse is they also watch you get trapped up. 
This is the time. I don't, if you may have gone 20 years because your family were all alcoholics and abusers and, and were dealing with sexual morality or whatever the issue that lust looks like, or, or you were gluttonous or you're prideful, you're envious, or you're any of the areas we looked at, and that's your issue, well, today's the day you can deal with it. Today's the day you can say enough is enough. We are going to get the victory that God has, has shed his blood to pay for. I'm going to do that. Some of your appropriate response is saying, okay, I've been doing that, but I don't have the intimacy with the Father. I would encourage you to turn to somebody, get prayer, come up here, and we'll pray that God will reveal it. Jesus said, I came to bring you to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the days where I don't feel close, I said, Jesus, reveal the Father to me. Take me to Papa. I just need to be held by him. I just need to be loved by him. I just need to be encouraged by him. Oftentimes it's through his words. Sometimes I'll hear him speaking through the Spirit of God. A third response is that you come and you're going to confess your sins. And again, you can do it here. You can do it in your home. You can do it in your car. It's between you and God because that's really what this whole thing is about. It's confessing your sins. Say, Dad, thank you for arresting me. I'm so tired of getting trapped up. I'm so tired. Show me what to do. Where is the way out, Dad? If there's a way out, then show me the way out. If there's, if there's a way to get rid of this weight of the shame and discouragement and embarrassment and all the other things that, that lust has given my life, show me how to do it, Dad. And that might be an appropriate response. It's really up to you. Because God will lovingly open up his arms to you, but it's up to you to respond. Father, I thank you. I really, I thank you for all the areas that that bowling ball represents for so many of us where you have cut that off of our life. And we're not walking around in the shame and the embarrassment and the criticism and the judgment. You have removed the curse. You, you have forgiven our sin. You made a public spectacle triumphing over it and removed it as far as the east as the west, remembering them north. And we thank you for that. We thank you that there are areas in our life that we run because we don't have that on our lives. But Jesus, we're also aware of the areas that we do have that in our lives. And so we, we cry out for your mercy and we ask that you would set us free today. We don't want to learn how to run with that weight on us, Lord. We want to remove it and also allow you to throw it as far as east from the west. Father, we thank you for the areas you've forgiven us. You, you have not only freed us out of the trap and the snare, but you set us on the solid rock, as Psalm 40 says. And you've forgiven our sins. And, and, and it seems like in this equation, you're the only one that has forgotten about it because you've been so good and so forgiving and, and, and remembering my sins no more. And so, Father, we thank you for all the stuff that we did this last week that you heard our cries as we admitted our sin and we asked for your forgiveness, you are so good. Father, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, you know, you know us and you know there's areas of unconfessed sin. And you just want to see us set free. And you don't want us in that bondage anymore. Father, I'm praying for a grace to fall in this place right now for everyone that hears my voice. A grace to respond to you in the work. And whatever area that is, Lord, where the enemy has gotten us out, Satan, your days are canceled. You're a defeated foe. Jesus Christ, we declare your lordship over each of our lives. Jesus Christ, we declare your lordship over our sin, over our weakness, over our broken areas, over the areas we've been tempted. Lord Jesus, we declare your lordship. We look to you for our healing, that we be people that represent you as being free. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said,
Savior, I come. As I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to morning if you hear very well as the Lord is speaking to you and I believe he's knocking in our door of our heart because he love us he love us too much Give Jesus to bring us the way he wants us to. This morning, uh, I greatly encourage you. The altar is open. Come and lay before him anything that you feel your spirit tells you that entangles, that want to build a barrier between you and your loving God. Don't feel, you know, uncomfortable to come to Him. If you feel uncomfortable, the enemy will shame you. But this morning, it's better to run and bring it in the feet of Jesus. And then say, Lord Jesus, you nail on the cross because of me. But this morning, Lord, I turn my whole heart to you, my whole life. Wash me. And help me and hold me. The Lord's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. Please do not get back as you're going. Be obedient to the truth. There's a voice, there's two voices that are speaking to you right now. One that resists, one to say, No, you are good enough. There's another one that says, You see how much I love you. Look at the cross. That because of you, I was there. As you examine yourself, come forward. I don't know how long you've been where you are, but it doesn't make any difference for the Lord today. There is no condemnation for you who come and say, Lord, I have been in shame for a long time. But today, Lord, I want to walk free. Lord Jesus, we love you.
You are the only one who accepts us, Lord, the way we are. Lord, you know our failure. That because of that, you knock in our door of our heart. And you say, whoever opened to me, I will come. Father, I pray for your word today that we heard. We pray, Lord, for this series of sermons, Father God, that you've been speaking to us. Because, Father God, you said, Lord, the church that you're coming back to get, Father God. It's a church, Lord, that you're going to prepare, Father God. That we have, Lord, a fine leaning on, Father God. A church without uh, no spot. Without no blemish, Father God. And, Father God, as we know, Father God, we fell many times, Father God. We've done wrong before you, maybe, Lord, uh, all of our lives. But today, Lord, as we heard your voice. Say, Lord, here we are. May your will be done in our lives. Father, we want to walk in freedom. We want to walk a life that few, that wash, that clean. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. Let's stand. Jesus, I Now may the love of the Father, the God, the creator of the whole world, our God, may the love of Jesus, the Savior of the world, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you from this day forward. And for those who want to go, you are free to go, and those who want to remain in the presence of God, just remain in his presence. Bless your Sunday.